Welcome back to another one of our combos. This is Dario Hunt from The Life Fish with me as my co-host. As always, Mr. Dereese Walker. Say what's up to everybody. What's up, everybody? Artist D. Walker, welcoming you back to Living Life Fearless in another podcast episode with two very excellent guests, um, Nicholas Brewer and Faye. Uh, please introduce yourselves, Nick. And Yeah, my name is uh, Nicholas Manson Brewer. I was, uh, I'm a filmmaker based out of Los Angeles, California. Uh, I've kind of been all over the place in my life, but I spent a lot of my childhood in, uh, in beautiful Georgia, uh, specifically Augusta, Georgia. And, uh, and so I'm here today to talk to you about um, our new film, Lumpkin GA, which is just now available on Canopy. Um, and it's kind of a story about what home means to the various stakeholders around the immigration issue, specifically in the small town of Lumpkin. Cool. And Faye, uh, if you want to give a little background. Yeah. Uh, my name is Fei Xue Tang. I go by Fei, and uh, I'm from China, Beijing. And uh, I went to U.S. for my grad school and continued to work there afterwards. And uh, I was the director of photography for the film Lumpkin GA. And I'm very happy to be here to be talking with you guys about things related to the films and the other stuff. Awesome. <laughs> so, yeah, so the whole point of this conversation and why we kind of, you know, met each other and kind of matched up is we want to talk about your short film that you like you just said has just released called lumpkin, lumpkin ga and uh kind of just the process and everything behind it and you know a lot of the issues that it's dealing with in particular it's dealing with the immigration issue which has been a very hot topic for the past i don't know four probably even longer years than that at least for sure in the in the front of american politics and especially now and uh I mean, first thing I've seen it, Doris has seen it, and first thing I jumped out of mind is just kind of how timely it was. And I guess my first question is, like, why this issue for you, and how did you come to decide to to create a film about it? Yeah, that's a that's a great question. Um, yeah, and again, thank you so much for having us. Um, I think that the uh, the the you know the main. I think when 2016 happened and, and, you know, Donald Trump was elected president, even before that, when he first announced his campaign immediately, he kind of made immigration a central topic in a very divisive way. And so it immediately became this hyper polarized conversation. Um, and there was a lot of uh, there was a lot of a lot of what he injected into it was a lot of vitriol um, for lack of I mean, there's plenty of other words we could use, but I think vitriol is the one I'll go with for right now. Um, but it kind of it kind of awoken in me had awoken in me this uh, this interest to kind of look back at my home. You know, for years beforehand, I had been reading about how Georgia had these partnerships with the federal government, where local police officers would be kind of uh, deputized for the federal government to go in and round up undocumented immigrants that they may they may run into on routine traffic stops that or in the regular course of their events. So I, I think that, uh, that I always kind of been interested in exploring that issue. And I think the, 20, the 2016 election and even, even before that, you know, Donald Trump's kind of rise to get the Republican nomination kind of triggered, um, triggered my kind of realization that there's a, there's a massive story here. And then I, I was late one night when I was in grad school, I stumbled across a few articles that, uh, that touched on this a really small rural town in Georgia uh, called Lumpkin and the county itself, which is called Stewart County. And their relationship to this 
uh, for-profit immigrant detention center. And, uh, and there was, had also been a lot of news at the time because uh, at the beginning of his administration, Trump had, uh, had, had uh, kind of encouraged business with, uh, with for-profit detention facilities and prisons. You know, the private, he kind of had a lot of policies early on geared at kind of revamping those programs which, uh, you know, to the previous administration, to, to, sorry, to the Obama administration's credit, or, or sorry, to the Obama administration's credit, they had kind of uh, tried to back away from the private prison industry. And so it was kind of, it was kind of a, a fresh in my mind for all of those reasons. And, uh, and so I, I, you know, when we went in uh, to, to think about the next project that Faye and I were gonna do, we had just come off of doing uh, essentially my USC thesis. Uh, this just seemed like really fertile ground. It also seemed like a story that not many people outside of um, kind of the activist community were paying attention to. Mm -hmm. And so for all those reasons, it just felt fertile, right? So we, uh, yeah, we uh, kind of randomly one day I asked Faye, we were still in school at the time when this all kind of started. We finished it way after we were done with school, but in the initial beginning, it was just kind of like, hey, Faye, do you want to go to Georgia with me? And she was like, yeah, sure. Uh, and, you know, I took her to uh, to Lumpkin, Georgia, kind of rural. It was her first time on the East Coast. And, you know, for, you know, fortunately, we're still friends. I mean, after that whole experience, uh, but, but in, in, in all sincerity, I mean, uh, I think that one of the things that, that I hope is rings true in this film is that this is a story about people. This isn't a story necessarily about the political discourse we choose to tell. In fact, we focus very little on that directly mm. in the film. There, we don't really address any of the talking points you typically hear. We mostly just try to tell you the stories of the people that are living through these things that you typically read about in the headlines. So, so yeah, that was kind of that was kind of what was important to us. And I would say early out to start, we actually envisioned this being like a ten-minute experimental film, and I kind of. You know, we went once and then we ended that trip and we were like, I think we have to come back. I mean, Faye can speak more to that, but I think we both just felt it in our hearts that we needed to go back. Uh, Faye, I don't know if you have anything you want to say on that topic or any of these topics. Yes, please speak to like, you know, just that, that uh, what it was like the first time, um, you know, just especially going to the South, maybe. has it Was that like your first time in the South of America and then just, you know, um, like Nicholas said about um, what what made you want to uh, go back, like you know what I think we need more. We gotta we gotta finish. We gotta do more of the story. Yeah, definitely. It was actually my first time on the East Coast and my first time in the South as well. And uh, I have never been there before, so I I've always been very curious about all different cars, all different parts of the United States. And Nick took this project to me and saying, hey, we got this very interesting tongue in Georgia. Um, and that is in the middle of kind of nowhere. And it's not really connected to any bigger city. And uh, and it has a really small population. But right beside it, like so suspiciously, there is this huge facility that has like almost 2,000 people there, like detainees. And, he showed me the uh, the Google map overhead of that, and instantly it became very fascinating to me. And I've never been to Georgia before, so I'm like, yes, I'm gonna go there. I wanna gonna see uh, what that's like and what 
uh, even just in general, what the town is like. And we went there and it was, um, it was a really nice experience. And people were very, very um, um, kind and <laughs> very outgoing. People are really nice there. And so that was a great experience. The reason that we constantly go, uh, went back was because like, we kind of went there without knowing anyone. And we went there and we started talking to people. And as we started talking to people, um, people were starting to connecting us to more um, of their connections. So mm. the whole project just started to expand bigger and bigger. And so every single time at the end of our trip, we will be like, oh, but there was still so much more to discover here. And we learned so much that we didn't know before we went there. Of course, we did certain researches, especially Nick, he did tons of researches on the detention center and also the a part of the history of the town. Um, but every time when we were really there, when we really brought us into the people there and really talking to them, um, going to their going to a bar, I think. We went to a bar there and talking to the lady at the gun shop and all those experiences just added up and made us want to know more about them. So I think that's one of the major reasons that we kept going back. Right. Yeah. That's awesome. That's really interesting, especially that, you know, the, the experience initially is pleasant, um, even though it's sort of like a work experience, you never know how you might be um, perceived trying to like, you know, um, look into things per se, you know? Yeah, you know, that that's actually an interesting, interesting point about it. You know, I won't say that we never ran into people that were not excited that we were there. We had one, we had actually one experience that uh, was actually like one of our first experiences that was, uh, it wasn't hostile per se, but it was, it was, uh, it was very like, uh, uh, they were, it was extremely curious. I'll, I'll leave it at that. Yeah. Curious is the right word. And, uh, and, you know, actually funny enough, Marilyn, um, uh, threats, who is one of the leads of the film and who owns the gun shop with her husband was actually the person that kind of intercepted us and rescued us from that interaction. Um, and, and like kind of stood up for us in that moment. And so I, I, you know, to Faye's point, people were incredibly kind, uh, you know, by and large. And, are the incidences where there was like any kind of controversy were pretty minimal. Um, in fact, I can only really think of one. Faye, I don't know if you can think of more, but I can only think of one um, offhand. I couldn't think of more. I couldn't even remember the one that you, you are talking about. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was such a blip in our radar, honestly, because we spent so long and, you know, part of the approach that, that we kind of took with this film and that I think we try to take in general is I have a background in, in cultural anthropology. And so a lot of what I do is kind of on the ground going around talking to people. And there is clearly kind of a thought about what this might be. But one of the things that constantly would happen with this film, and I think constantly happens with documentaries, is you go back and you learn more and you kind of have to reframe how you're focusing things. And what you thought at the beginning, like I said, this was initially thought of as like a 10 minute experimental film. Uh, it quickly kind of evolved into something that I think is much more of like a, a portrait of the people in this town. Uh, hopefully, yeah. yeah. Well, definitely. Um, I mean, it looked like you captured a lot of portraits. I mean, you know, it was it was really interesting, especially, I mean, obviously, like you said, from the cinematography of Faye, like capturing these really interesting um, sort of like uh, 
like B B film, like B shots uh, for like moments where um, they're expressing, you know, just part of their story where like, you know, these visuals tie in and it's not just like um, the interviewee talking to the camera. I really like those yeah. like sort of moments. Um, and uh, like with, with the, like, I guess, I don't know, there's so many characters, but um, I kind of want to talk about Jorge because uh, yeah. um, he seems like sort of a, a main sort of like crux and like a really pivotal figure in that. Um, at what point did you actually meet him? Uh, it was actually like, um, that was a complete accident. And it was actually one of our last, uh, one of our last trips there is when we met him. Um, he, we showed up kind of, we had dates that we would set up. Basically we would, we would shoot for like a week or five days and then we'd come back home. Uh, and then I'd have to work for a few months to save up enough money to go back. Cause this was all kind of independently financed. And, uh, and, you know, we were really like, we were really kind of like scraping by to kind of make this film. So one of our last visits, we, we went and, uh, and, you know, when we got there, we went to this uh, ministry that, that is kind of a central location of the film called El Refugio, where the families of detainees stay. Right. And we had a really good connection with that particular group and the volunteers there. So we, uh, you know, we would, um, uh, we, we went and, you know, we happened to go one day and then they said, there's a man who's just come out of the detention center. Um, he's out on bond. Um, and, I, and, you know, so we kind of, uh, you know, would you be interested in, in speaking to him if he's interested in speaking to you? Unfortunately, he was. And it really kind of, you know, we, we spent a few days with him kind of just going through his story, following him around the town, um, because this was a very new experience for him. He had actually been in Arizona before that, where he lived with his family right. and had been had been taken from Arizona all the way to Lumpkin, Georgia, which is actually a really common experience. A lot of people from all over the country end up in this very small rural town that they don't know outside of being in that detention center. Right. And so, uh, so, so what, what had happened was we met him, uh, the first night we met him, uh, we had dinner with him and then we kind of had a conversation with him that we filmed, which makes up a lot of the interview that you see in the, in the film. Uh, and then we, you know, we kind of just spent a lot of time just hanging out with him that trip, that trip kind of became dedicated to focusing on Jorge at that point. Um, and it was a complete accident. It was just happening to be there in the right day at the right time um that that all kind of manifested I mean, that's really interesting that you said that was like one of the last things that was kind of an accident that happened because watching it you think that it was kind of planned out that way because he became such a central part of the story like i, I don't know if i can really imagine the film without his parts in it especially the ending you know because when you after everything you go through you can come away feeling a little bit cynical about the whole process and about our country as a whole and how we deal with people. But then they still see him kind of talk about that, like American dream and, and still believing in the process and believing in the system and everything. It, it gives you that kind of hopeful ending. And I don't, it's just amazing that you guys said that, that was kind of accidental because it, I think it just put such a nice touch to the, to the film as a whole. Yeah. And you know, one of the, one of the things that we really tried to do in this film uh, was 
we tried to preserve people's voices. I think a lot of time in films and in documentaries, there's this urge to kind of get people to say what you want them to say within like a within like an edit. And I think that that's like definitely appropriate, maybe like in, in certain contexts. But in this film, it was really important to us to preserve as much uh, to preserve people's thoughts. And so very little of that ending speech from Jorge is actually edited, like the dialogue that he says. Those are organically his thoughts. It's not like we sat here and made him say these things. These were things that he actually said to us. So that conclusion where he's talking about the like the American dream, that's authentically who Jorge is. And in every conversation we had with him, that was a common sentiment he would go back to, which was kind of, I'm with you completely. I mean, you sit there and you listen to kind of the, the, uh, the things that he experienced and the observations he made about the detention center and his time there. And even being through that process where he ends up halfway across the country, separated from his family without any form of identification so he can travel back and he has to wait for somebody to come get him. You know, it's, it's miraculous to even have that optimism in any way, you know, yeah. for, for me, it's, it was, it was extremely, it was extremely shocking. Yeah. yeah th I think that's one thing that you did really well is that, um, you know, as an American, as growing up being born and raised here, like you can, I guess you can take certain things for granted. And then once you kind of get to see that from a, another perspective and you see how other people have to go through the process of coming here and like being a part of this whole process and being part of this dream that we just consider like a, a basic right of ours, it's, it, it was very eye-opening in that way, I think particularly. And, and I think it's even more eye-opening when you specifically talk about like small town America, because most people don't have those experiences even in the, in the States. So they don't really understand the issues and the problems that go on in like those different parts of, of the country. So I think in those two areas, this film did a really good job of like kind of portraying that without, like you said, without you having to like put it on a slide or like put it out yourself, they specifically tell you without, you know, too much courage, like they kind of just talk to you about it, you know? Yeah. And I think a lot of that really speaks to kind of the approach that Faye, uh, Faye kind of encourages on set. You know, I think that, we set up shots with the idea that we're going to be patient and we're going to wait until we get to the point where someone is willing to open up. Because I think, you know, in any, in any, and you guys know this because you interview people, but it usually takes people a while to get warmed up before they really start talking to you. Right. Yeah. And, and I think so much of what we did was we did like three hour long interviews. A lot of them were like very, very long interviews. Um, and, and I just have to say, like, like there's a certain level of, of restraint that Faye has as a cinematographer and intuitiveness as well. You know, there are moments in Jorge's um, when he's talking to us where we like punch in on him. You know, uh, he's playing with like a paperclip or something to kind of like and you can tell it's kind of or at least to me, it seemed like an anxiety tick or something or just like helping him process what he was talking about. Those are moments that were actually picked up in the course of the interview. Those weren't like things that we made him do after the fact. We didn't make mm -hmm. him like, you know, these are these are things that Faye just like instinctually knew to pick up on as we were going. And I, I think that so much of the emotional impact of these interviews is really a testament to like how Faye chose to frame them and uh, and and how how she captured them. I mean, I really believe that, you know, we don't, we have a relationship on set where I'm never kind of looking through the monitor of what she's doing. Uh, we're, I, I actually just like fully trust her and I know her vision. We have enough conversations about it beforehand that when we get there, I know whatever she's going to come up with, 
is is the most impactful way to capture whatever we're currently looking at you know what i mean it's it's right. just like well yeah. i'm glad you kind of said that you know because that kind of like really affirms things you know too because there's like a really like beautiful way that some of the the scenes like transition you know and um like even like dario was mentioning at the end just like the way he was touching the bricks on the building that that's a really beautiful moment uh, that you captured that that you know like one might wonder was that natural you know but like it, it really did look natural and you could see you did the next shot where he's actually looking and pondering and looking up you know it's like you know he's he's intrigued he's interested and um so i, I really liked how you captured those moments um in between and um I, I guess actually before we get too deep, because there's a lot of deep content we're probably about to talk about now. That was more that's probably like the light part of the segment. <laughs> yeah. But uh I wanna actually, you know, if we could jump back to maybe how you two met, um, yeah. you know, in grad school, just like um, cause you both moved to California, right? For grad school, or or you know, just you know, okay. let us know about just how that all derived. Yeah. Faye, do you wanna take that? Uh, yeah, sure. So, uh, Nika and I uh, admitted into um, USC, University of Southern California, and their film school there for the grad school. And we were in the same cohort, same year, same semester. And uh, we were in a few classes together in the first year. And then we started to doing uh, our own thing. And I started to shoot more. At that time, actually, I haven't hadn't shot any documentaries yet. I was shooting more narrative shorts, like fictional films. Mm -hmm. And Nick has a passion for documentary and he was about to do his um, uh, grad thesis. And is this documentary about uh, um, uh, about uh, addiction in Southern California, uh, especially the uh, for heroin and uh, opiatic epidemic there and uh, so one day Nick approached me and saying hey I have this project in mind that I'm interested in doing from a very humanistic approach I'm really interested in people who are actually like suffering from those addictions and family have actually there are actually tons of families lost their children to that addiction and I'm very interested in doing a documentary about that and um, and that sounds very interesting to me and at the same time like his approach to that he's focusing on location as well similar to Lumpkin, georgia he was focusing on the um around like simi valley and agora hills in the southern california area which is actually like a really middle class neighborhood like i have been there and it's like kind of like very nice suburban and you wouldn't imagine like such problems are happening there in those like nice houses and people are suffering there and so instantly i became very interested and he pitched this whole idea in a very humanistic way to really learn about things just like how we did lumpkin ga we really went there and really like talked to people sat down and just listened to them and that's one of the major things that I love doing documentaries and films with Nick is he, of course, we would have our ideas about what this may be like, what this documentary may be like, and how we think about those issues. But at the moment that we set our food in the location, we would just give up all those prejudgments or 
preconceptions and we just went there and listened to what people has to say. And I think that also is why that, like we were talking about Jorge and which is really, uh, to me, it was also magical because he adds so much complexity to the film, like his love for the United States and the way you mentioned like the moment when he was touching the brick that just happened spontaneously. And I love that moment so much as well. And I just felt his love and for life and for this country and his faith and hope. So you just felt that energy there. So that's one thing I love about doing documentaries with Nick is because like, I think both him and I are usually very open to perceive what people are really going through and what people really have to say. And, but back to the, uh, the documentary, Back to Sue, and that's when we started to work together. And then we started to work really well. We would have a lot of conversations on the film before we started shooting and while we were shooting, which built up to our almost very smooth and almost nonverbal communication, like on set. We wouldn't even have to say much things if something like a happy accident happened or like some changes happen. Sometimes it's just an exchange of a look that we know what to do. And, and I think that builds into our collaboration. And then after the film that we did at USC, um, we just continue to work because it's, um, yeah, we are just so in sync with our ideas and, and also like our collaboration is so smooth. And yeah, I just, and I'm constantly interested in the topics that he, he brought up. Yeah. Yeah. We actually, I don't know if Faye remembers this, uh, but we actually, you know, when I went to, when we first did that like admissions day or like the introduction day to the program, I actually the first, I went out to, to dinner with Faye and a group of uh, other friends that we have like that first night. So it was actually like from the very first day that we, we became, we, we were sure. friends pretty quickly. It was more so, and she actually, you know, like, uh, yeah, I mean, we were, we were, we were friends from the start, but I think we became collaborators. Actually, when you look at it kind of late in our process at USC, I mean, towards the, towards the end of it, but it's definitely just been very strong. Yeah, definitely. That's true. I remember that. And then like uh, me and another uh, student, we celebrated your first birthday at a school. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So, so we have, you know, it's been from 20, 2015, the very beginning of 2015 to this point. Yeah. Yeah. So then, um, so then that, so that experience of, um, or I guess the idea of going back to Georgia, right? Cause um, you, you'd been there before you're from Georgia, but like the uh, story, um and and uh connecting back to that um who was like the first what was the first interaction was that with el uh, refugio um in terms of like reaching out and getting things started yeah um so i was i uh just to like go through that a little bit um my so uh, yeah, I grew up in Augusta, Georgia, which is actually quite a few hours away from Lumpkin, but you would see signs for Lumpkin as you were driving. I, I kind of did a lot of um, a lot of drives between Georgia and Florida because my uh, my mother lived in Florida and my father lived in Georgia. So towards like in my teenage years, I did a lot in like early 20s. I did a lot of commuting back and forth. Um, and so I would always see signs for this small town and never really knew anything about it. I actually attended a, a um, um, 
it's like the uh it's technically like the florida's public honors college for uh uh but it, it's kind of has a reputation as a uh as a as a pretty radical school it's called new college of florida um and there's a lot of a lot of activists on that campus there were at the time that I, when i was there and I, I mean i think that tradition has continued and a lot of a lot of people that i went to school with actually knew uh steward detention center because next to it is another facility um that's kind of notorious in the south called the school of the americas where they train um where they train military from all over uh, particularly Latin America, but I think all over the world as well. They bring them to this small campus near Columbus, Georgia, uh, where they teach them military techniques. Um, so it had, so there were a lot of students from, from new college that would, uh, that would go out there to protest once a year, once a year, there's like a massive protest and that protest would carry over to Stewart detention center where there would be like a massive vigil. Um, by the time that we got to Stewart detention center, those vigils had mostly ended. They weren't nearly like I don't think there was one in the entire time we were filming, and there wasn't. Um, there may have been, and I apologize if I'm speaking out of turn, but I don't think there was. And uh, and you know there there hadn't been a, like a beyond El Refugio. They were the they were by far at the time the the most uh, the, the largest presence uh, in terms of activists or nonprofits there, and. Uh, you know, pretty soon, right around the time that we first went, you know, there had been a series of events. There's now, there was, when we first started, there had been an attorney that had moved in a few months before us to the town specifically to take on immigration courses in the, in the detention center. He appears in the film. That's Marty Rosen. Uh, that's Marty, excuse me. And, uh, and uh, then you have, uh, there was also at the, that time or pretty close to that time, the Southern Poverty Law Center came in and started a uh, a nonprofit kind of uh practice where where their attorneys would go in and, and take on cases at steward detention center so there there was some movement happening for sure at that time but uh but i actually got connected to all of that through uh through some old friends at new college who uh put me in touch with people at el refugio who then kind of helped me kind of figure out they said basically you can come here and film uh, we can't promise anyone will talk to you. We can't promise anyone will want to talk to you, but you can come here and you can try and you can kind of see what happens. Uh, and so that was a real, that was a real blessing for us. Uh, and then, you know, we, uh, we came and in the process, you know, um, I think it helped that I was from Georgia. I think a lot of initially how we got to know the town was, uh, because I was from there, it kind of lent a certain amount of credibility. I was from Georgia. I think it did lend a certain amount of credibility. I think people were very were were more interested in talking to me because I did have I was I had lived there for so long in my life that uh, that that it um, that I think it really helped. And I also think it helped that we never uh, we never treated any interview we did as like an interrogation. And I think one of the reasons that I wanted to go to Georgia and make this film, and it's a it's a thread that uh, that still fascinates me and I'm still trying to grapple with is, you know, uh, I, I said earlier that I think this film in very many ways is about a sense of home. All of these people are trying to figure out what home means to them. And I think that's very true for me as well. I think that's part of what that experience was. And part of one of the things I grapple with a lot is, is somebody that, um, you know, until recently, I don't think politics in Georgia necessarily reflected my politics. I think with, you know, I think things have changed significantly since I've moved. But I've always kind of had this sense there 
of this very beautiful place that has in so many ways such a tragic past to it. There is so much trauma in the landscapes in Georgia. You know, you can feel it when you're there. And I think that's something that Faye does a really beautiful job of capturing in the film is, is that there is so much history in these landscapes that you can kind of just feel when you're there. Um, and, you, you know, they, we talk about it in the film a little bit. We don't touch on it a lot, but there is a significant history to specifically that town. Um, and, and well, touching yeah. on that, honestly, that what sparked my interest when you said that specifically, I thought of uh, Mac, the, uh, yeah. the, the um, Stewart County manager. Yeah. Um, just sort of the history he was sort of um, speaking about. Um, but like, not just how he said it, but like what he was saying and how it was like almost just matter of fact, like this is the legacy of that, that territory almost. Um, yeah. it was, was that coming out um, elsewhere too? Or like, just talk about like how that was when, when you were, were like, even in that interview. Yeah, <laughs> well, um, <laughs> well, okay. So, so there's like two parts to that. The first being that, you know, we were aware of that history and very aware of that history. And I think that to a certain extent, we had had some success with people uh, uh, talking to us about it. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I mean, we, all of the literature about, about, you know, Lumpkin GA kind of touches on this fact that, um, that it is the, like it's named for the architect of Native American removal. And there was a massive effort to do that in that area. It also is, has a notorious reputation for, for the institution of slavery that existed all throughout the country, but specifically in this area, right? And, uh, and so we were very well aware of that um, in reading up on it. Uh, getting somebody to say it in one sentence like that was kind of, uh, we never really thought that that would happen. And much, you know, uh, you know, just, you know, all, all things considered, um, we didn't expect to hear from the supervisor of the county. Um, yeah. And so I remember sitting in that interview with Faye and, and, you know, again, that's a, that's a moment that is not edited in any way. That's just him going. And he says all of that together. And, and I just remember like there's silence in that shot after he says it all, like, it's just like, kind of like, dead air for like three seconds afterwards and i'm telling you there was dead air in that room for like a minute afterwards because Faye and i i just looked at Faye and i was like i mean what do you like i think that like that's it like what what you know um that was just like one of those moments where we were just like completely shocked you know um and and I mean, everybody I knows it. information that I was just, honestly, some of the things he even just like divulged, I was like, wow, he's just like, <laughs> he just said that, you know, like, like the private prison, um, you know, accounts for one fifth of their like, uh, you know, annual budget, like, yeah, just, just the notion of, of, of the comfortability of, of, of having, contracts per head on on inmates in a detention center is such an interesting way i just like you know just moments like that are interesting where it's almost like glazed over um yeah his perspective because it's part of just how the county has to operate because like 
one of the other main stats was that it in um, one of the top 20 um, most impoverished counties in the country. So, yeah. Um, and what's also crazy, I noticed you had a snippet of one of the CCA commercials. And in that snippet, there's a Crowley County. That's the like, that's Colorado. I'm from Colorado. And I just realized, I was like, holy cow. Like, because <laughs> I, I looked it up. I was like, that kind of reminds me of Colorado. I was like, I know we have a lot of prisons. And I was like, oh, that is Colorado. Oh, no. Yeah. Well, no. So, like, there was a little bit, there was a moment watching it where it actually hit home for me as well. <laughs> I mean, yeah, well, yeah, and, I'm from Colorado. So. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I mean, listen, I think that that is just the reality. And especially, like, you know, one of the re- one of the urgencies to making Lumpkin it was that uh, was that these detention centers were on the verge, and I think maybe are currently. Uh, I don't know what this administration is going to do and how they're going to handle it. I think they've made some some important first steps uh, in in kind of changing that policy. But these detention centers are kind of on the rise across the country, right? Um, and or they were at that time; they were on the verge of it. Uh, and and they exist in the places where you might least expect it. I mean, that's kind of, in some ways, Lumpkin, Georgia is a very unexpected place to find a detention center like this, or sorry, Stewart County is a very unlikely place to, to find a detention center like this. But in other ways, you know, as Marty says in the film, it's kind of the perfect place, right? You know, and, and because it's so far away, there are so few people there and it can kind of operate at, out of the picture, um, you know, that's actually, you know, not a, uh, not an uncommon, not an uncommon thing by any stretch. Um, I, I, you know, with regards to Mac just saying things, I mean, wh- when I look back on it, like, I just think that's who, you know, who he is authentically. And I think that he, he's so, he, I, I mean, I'm not here to psychoanalyze or anything, and I actually am still in touch with Mac, and I, you know, um, I, I, I'm friends with him on on Facebook, funny enough, uh, and you know, I, uh, I, I just say that like, at a certain point, I just think that when that is the reality, and you're somebody that likes to tell the truth and be honest, which I think is genuinely like who he is. I think he try. I think he is a genuinely honest person. Um, you know, he, uh, he, he, uh, I I just think that he was just saying things as they were. And I frankly thought it was like, I've, I found it very jarring in the moment. Um, but I'm very grateful that he said it because I think that, you know, it, it really, it really puts things in a perspective and, you know, I don't know that it's handled in, you know, uh, well, yeah, I think that's all I'll say. I think that, I think that for him, it's just that's the reality of where things are. Um, and and as somebody that loves history and as somebody that, you know, knows so much and has lived in that county for generations, you, you know, there's no point in sugarcoating it, right? Or like, there's no sense in it, like, or at least from his perspective, like, what would be the point? That just is what it is to him. It's kind of like how I read that moment. Yeah, I think, um, I think why I like this film so much was because it is, life in general and history in particular is about hard truths, you know, and about, especially 
issues like this can be so politicized, especially in the media and like news, you get one side of it, one perspective. But when you have a film like this, you get, you see there's like three different sides to it. Yes, there's a horrible immigration issue. And yes, there's like this private prison issue. But then yes, there's also like behind all that, what really is it is what you wouldn't necessarily think of is all these poor counties and these all these poor towns that literally feel like they have no other choice but to accept these contracts because there is no other because they have these promises of oh there's going to be work oh there's going to be tax money coming in you know so you don't get that side when you're like hearing about these issues on the political front or on the on the major news network front you just get these immigration issues but then they never really touch on the more human aspect behind it and like why these things are even possible and why these things are such like like i said hard truths behind everything like you can kind of see it in the film, the people that you're interviewing kind of trying to grapple with the situation. Like, yeah, this is horrible. We know it's horrible, but at the same time, we don't have jobs. There's no opportunities. And like, they promised us all these things and whether or not they came through with it, that was kind of how it kind of led to this point. And that's why I've like really liked so much about the film and the way you guys shot it was that you allowed them to, to tell it from their perspective so that you can see an issue from more than just the, black and white sides that we typically get it from. Thank you for saying that. I mean, that's it. That's essentially, that's exactly, I think what we were trying to go for in, in making it. And, uh, and I'm glad that that came through for, for you. I, I mean, I, that's what I get from it. And uh, yeah, I mean, the, the reality is, is that, is that like it, it, these, I think, I think there's a really strong, strong case to be made from the film that, you know, this detention center and the company that is, um, is behind it have not made the, uh, have not that promise of the, uh, of the revived town has not been made true for Lumpkin based on that detention center, you know? Yeah. Um, and, and one of the ways that I tried to constantly look at this and, you know, when I talked to, um, when I talk to, you know, we screen this with, uh, with members of like the Unitarian community, community, like the, uh, and, and like the League of Women Voters and in, uh, Richmond County, Georgia, which is kind of where I was raised. And one of the issues that I kind of mentioned to them is that, is that I think that what's going on in this film is you're witnessing kind of two structures of oppression at once. You're witnessing on the one hand, this, this detention system that, um, that, can be seen easily as inhumane, right? But you're also witnessing at the same time the failing of this country to address to address uh, rural poverty, and these two things are kind of hand in hand in this story, right? Like they're they're together, and they're kind of inextricable. Like you can't really talk about one without talking about no. the other. It would it, it it's it's really tough in this context to do that. Yeah. yeah. And then you have like this evil empire, like that's just looking to try to take advantage of a situation, which is, I mean, what really hit me was when they were talking about the jobs and you were talking about how they promised all these potential work and all this new found, you know, labor for the, for the counties. But then the work, I think, I forget which lady said it. I think I forget her name, but she, I can't remember, but, but she, she mentioned how it was basically um, all the work that, could have been done and given to the uh, to the community. They gave it to the people that they are putting in prison, and then yeah. they're paying them only a dollar to four dollars a day for the exact work. And it's and you just think like, how is this legal? How is this you know 
how is this even possible? And, you know, I, thought, I just thought that was a really eye-opening moment in particular yeah. to see just how, just how, like, how messed up this, this, the system really is and how this is allowed to happen in a country that, you know, preaches uh, the American dream, you know, and to yeah. people that are specifically coming here looking for that exact American dream, you know? Right. Yeah. I mean, I think that that is, you know, kind of one of the, uh, one of the, uh, I don't, I just feel like, like so much of that is at the heart of, of America in 2021 at this point. I mean, when we started this film, it was 2017 and we kept filming through 2017 into 2018 and even towards like the tail end of 2018. And, and we, uh, we, you know, we actually had our like first release of it in 2019, but it, you know, I think these things are things that are kind of embedded in the fabric of this country. And, you know, I think that there's also, you know, you can't talk about the South or the United States in general without addressing the fact that, you know, and I think it's touched on pretty early in the film, uh, but that this is a place that, that was clearly very segregated at one point. And I think there are still a lot, like on multiple levels, there are just so many systemic issues that I think we try to give uh, weight in this film um, and explore. And I think that the biggest thing to me, uh, and I think one of the reasons that we were so successful in areas, and I think Faye can speak to this because, um, uh, because I think it's the truth, is that, is that, um, this is not a film about attacking a person for how they, they see themselves or how they see the world. This isn't a film about, about um, making people feel bad about who they are or where they live or, or trying to shame them into feeling one particular way about an issue. This is really a film about how the system as a whole has generally um, not worked. Uh, for anybody. And not fulfilled the, for anybody. Yes, exactly. Um, and how it's left, you know, a lot of people behind in the process and, or you know maybe it does work for some people it just happens to be that they are like the you know the ceos and shareholders of, of corrections the, corporation of america it works for civic right yes right I mean, i'm sure that you know like cca and you realize who it is like i mean cca has come into the public in the past in in awkward ways and um there's there's been like just like flash in the pan outrage but it never really actually like caught steam you know i remember like before we like you know uh felt how we feel about kanye west now he did do a song where he specifically mentioned the cca um in a song called new slaves basically right. like really really talking about that um, paid corporate structure and you know like the biggest companies in america wells fargo um you know i jordan brand you know michael jordan's brand you know like a lot of companies mcdonald's um they all have lots of stock in interest in this uh company right well so, they make billions of dollars a year so. yeah so it's just it's it's so like even that level is like other crazy thing about it but um yeah like i don't know the cca is nuts well, <laughs> can i just yeah. yeah can i just say something on that front which is that in the course of us filming they are actually at the very beginning they are in the process of changing their name to core civic and you know clearly we don't have like exact evidence of why but the suspicion with the people we spoke with was because of reputation issues that were happening with the name corrections corporation of america 
and its name recognition, they were changing their name to Core Civic. Uh, I don't, you know, we tried many times to talk to them and uh, never had any success. Um, so, so I, uh, you know, I, I can't say a whole lot about what their exact thought process was, but, um, but I would just say that like, you know, one of the, fun, one of the, this isn't, this isn't funny in like, a, it, it's funny in like more of like a cosmic sense, I guess, but like the, uh, the, the water tower in the film uh, that we constantly show at the end of our shoot. And we have footage of this, they can tell you, it, they had to paint over Corrections Corporation of America and they changed it to Core Civic. I mean, like, it was just like, you know, we didn't know how to really talk about that in the course of this specific film because the film really isn't about Core Civic itself. I mean, they are a key stakeholder in it, but they're not like the main focus of it per yeah. se. So, so we didn't really touch into why that was happening, but that, that is a thing that we kind of witnessed in real time. Well, I was going to ask, but I'm not, I mean, I'm not shocked that they, that they didn't want to sit down and talk to you for this film. I'm assuming they refuse a lot of sit downs and interviews with people that want to talk to them about, you know, actually how they do their business. And again, like the CCA and the core civic thing, like, I mean, just hearing it out loud, corrections, corporation, like those two words should never be together. That sounds like some dystopian future and some type of, you know, some sci-fi movie, like, like what's going on here? Corporation, like your corporation of, of prisons. And it's just, it's insane to even like think about it. So I'm not surprised that they changed their name. I just, I, I did, Dries kind of did ask earlier, mentioned earlier, it was about the commercial that you, that you found for CCA. It looked like an older one. And it looks so benign, you know, the way that they talked about what they do. And like, it looked like almost like a Geico commercial. So like, they're just giving health insurance or something. And I was just like, how did, like, did you have to do anything to get that cleared for the film or did they approve? Like, how did you, how did you find this one? Oh man, that was actually available on their YouTube page. And we, um, uh, we had to clear it through like an, an attorney to actually be able to, uh, to use it. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, we, yeah, we, we, fit, we use fair use for that. Okay. Because um, I, I was just like, yeah. <laughs> I was very, yeah, yeah I'm very familiar. I'm just, I was very surprised that you were able to like get that into the film to have that like associate. Because it was like, they were talking about something and then you play the commercial. Then it was like, okay, now back to like our regular scheduled program. Like, here's the like reality. Like, it was like almost like a dystopian type of moment where it's like, where it kind of glosses over what they do. And then like, you go back to reality of like what's actually happening. Like I thought, I love that, that kind of cut and juxtaposition between the two. Yeah. yeah. So, Oh, go ahead. Faye, please. Oh, okay. Uh, no, <laughs> yeah. Please. It, just what he talks about is so interesting because it is the truth, which if you think about it, it's really interesting. I wouldn't, I wasn't very surprised. They weren't very keen on talking with us because the whole thing, the whole scheme of this is being very quiet, right? They put this detention center in this very quiet Georgia town where no one will look into and no one is looking at and even a little bit remotely from the small town itself. And everything is done so quietly. And yet, like we see this commercial, which is so loud, giving promises and hope and that contrast itself. And and it's just great to like have that in the in the film. I think yeah. that speaks a lot as well. That was definitely yeah. one of my favorite favorite moments to see that kind of oh like 
you're talking about these like horrible things that are going on then like goes to like this lighthearted commercial where it's just like you know you almost see like kids and families playing and then like it goes back to like what's really happening and you know yeah that's actually the the genius of our of our editor michael gill he was the one that kind of crafted that moment um i had found that found that ad on youtube and pulled it down because i just thought it was kind of like just interesting for lack, for lack of a better word. And, uh, and, and then I gave it to him and then he sends me a cut a few days later and it's that scene almost exactly as how it is in the final film. And I was just like, Whoa, like it's so jarring from it's so, you know, it's, it's just so, uh, at least in Lumpkin, it doesn't seem like that commercial, it doesn't seem like Lumpkin worked out the way that commercial advertised. And I, I would have to speculate that's probably the case for a lot of the other areas that they operate uh, in. Probably. Yeah. Yeah. So, I yeah. mean, uh, Faye, I wanted to like specifically ask you since you like you come from from China and you're coming to America yourself and like kind of how did did you know anything about the issues, the immigration issues in the States before you came over here? And like, what do you like? What are your thoughts on? after learning more and, and doing all the research and being hands-on with it, like what are your feelings about, you know, the whole process and what you've learned? Yeah, so actually before I came to the United States, I never learned so specifically about the immigration policies. All I knew is, all I knew was the the idea this is an immigrant country and it's welcoming everyone that's having some contribution to do to this country and wanting to be part of this ideology. And that's what I knew about before, before I came. And especially before, I think things became more obvious and a little bit different since the last administration. And that happened while I was at USC uh, studying and I was never really uh, into politics. So I didn't follow a lot of politics, but I remember at that point, I went to see one of their debate before he got elected. And I was like, wow, that's something else. And then he did get elected and then things became, I would say it, it has already been a trend after the researches we did uh, we did and learning that how it is kind of closing down on immigration and also um, about uh, how ICE operates in the past. Um, mm. I mean, not only just a couple of years, but I think it's an ongoing process, um, progress. And yeah, things just became more blunt uh, through the past uh, um, administration. And so, so I, w- I, t- I told Nick that I felt like politics is never really like major interest for me, but w- what I think of it is not as like a, a band-aid grouped um, parties or like ideology. What I think about it is how, what it do to people, what it does to people. And what that means to people who are living through it. And I think through Lumping Georgia, like we got to see it and that's definitely not something pretty and yeah. it's kind of sad yeah to see it to to witness through that scope but i think like to do it through that scope is actually quite important because i feel like right now we live in a we live in a time that is to say divided or 
it's just the way that information is spreading right now is so fragmented and uh, there are overwhelming information and people see a headline and or see a um, something that or see part of a person that identify that person and they were never willing to be sitting down and really learn about the complexity of what it's really like. So that's why I think doing a film like this and really going down there and showing people and then through that, hopefully seeing the bigger picture, the system and the structure, hopefully that's something that, at least that's something interests me and mm. something that, yeah from basing on the uh, humanistic, from basing on the very uh, intimate approach to really listen to the complexity of people, to see the, you know, the bigger picture. Yeah, uh, it's, it's definitely come through in, in the project that you guys put out. I guess, um, have, have the people that were involved that you were interviewing, have they seen the film yet? And have they given you like kind of their responses to, to it? Yeah. Uh, we showed it to everybody and we've heard back from most people. Uh, I, I mean, you know, one that I was extremely happy about cause it was honestly like the one I was, I was probably the most nervous for was, uh, Marilyn Threats, the gun store owner that, well, she, she runs a tax business, but her husband runs the gun shop and they own it together. It's a kind of an interesting arrangement. But, Guns um, and taxes. Yeah. <laughs> hey man, what, you know, what can you do? Uh, but but yeah, I mean, I I was really you know nervous to hear what what she was going to think about the film because we spent a lot of time getting to know her and you know each interview we did with her like I said was like three hours long. Uh, we just really enjoyed talking to her and she really let us into her life as well. Uh, she took us to church with her and stuff. So I mean, like we we were like, all right, was this a is this a Baptist church? The, oh man. I, I think it's, I want to say it's non-denominational, but I'll have to get back to you on that. I'm not a hundred percent sure. All right, so I have better. to ask, how was your experience in the Southern <laughs> church? <laughs> it's very, I mean, I have never been to much of much churches in general, but the Southern church is definitely like, at least this one that we went to is very different for me. Like it has so, it has so much life to it. It's so much singing. <laughs> it's, it's so lively. <laughs> it's so not. I mean, in a way, it's probably formal, but to me, it's so like <laughs> full of people and energy, like oh, it's, a lot it's of singing and dancing around. Like, it's the Sunday club. It's the, it's the Sunday club for sure. <laughs> yeah. No, it, it was, I, I would just say though, like everybody, and, and you know, another one that kind of shocked me too, but I was really happy with was Mac Moy. Actually, uh, I emailed him the film and he emailed me back just like telling me how fair he thought it was and how that much that had actually surprised him because I think that they're so, they are used to people coming to the town, but it's mostly to talk about the detention center exclusively and to kind of, and it usually a lot of those articles, at least in the perspective of the people that live there, they feel as though it paints the town in a negative light. Well, and, I, did, I did want to uh, mention that at some point was, I think uh, Comedy Central went down there too. Um, I believe Samantha B. I don't know if you if you saw that, but she she did her own little five minute segment on Lumpkin specifically and the uh, El Refugio. Yeah, actually, you know, it's funny. We actually helped her producers um, oh, like, awesome. get 
get to know that area. Um, they contacted us while they were in the process of donating that house to El Refugio. Like El Refugio now has a, has a different house and it's like really nice. Um, and that's like a huge thing that the Samantha B show did for them. But we talked to her producers for a while, kind of about what the experience was filming down there. And, uh, we showed them the film and, uh, yeah, it was, uh, that was actually pretty cool to, to that's cool. yeah. And, you know, it was, uh, that was a huge, like that, that, that ministry, that nonprofit is such a huge, like force for good, um, that it was really cool to see them, you know, get it. Um, Actually, the first time we showed the film was actually to their, like, on one of their, like, retreats where they were together. And we did it, um, uh, we did it in, like, a very small room on, like, an old television. And I was, like, I had just flown in from California just to show them this film. So I was, like, very, very nervous. And, uh, and they, like, you know, they had people from the nonprofit. They had people from other uh, nonprofits that are more, like, uh, that are more like, I would say like ice abolitionists. And it seemed to resonate with everybody. You know, I think that I, one thing I love about it is, is that, is that it, it can speak to the people that live in the town. It speaks to my relatives who are maybe more to the center or to the right. It speaks to people that are activists on the ground. I think it has a broad enough audience that everybody can kind of get something from it. Right. And I think that's one of the things that I'm most proud of about it. Yeah. I, I mean, I learned, I felt like I, I knew kind of the issues, but I didn't know as much as I learned just from like this 30 minutes. And I think the way you guys kind of laid it out was like, like you said, it just, it can, it, anybody can approach it no matter what side or whatever your political leanings, we can all see issues. Like there's just issues, no matter what right, left, Democrat, Republican, whatever, there's just issues, like major issues that that go beyond, you know, just the normal talking points that we always get fed. So I think that that's one extremely good thing you guys did. And I, I think if anything, this should be almost like required viewing for people to actually understand the issues like that are really going on. Well, thank you. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Uh, I, w- I mean, you know, um, you know, if anybody, if anybody listening uh, is interested in, in, in learning more about it and talking with us about it, I mean, they can reach us through our, through, uh, through that website, our, our film's website. And we can also, I mean, we have an educational distribution deal. So if people are interested in bringing to their campus or to their library, they can reach out to us as well. And we can help put you in touch with our distributor to make that happen. Oh, cool. Very cool. Yeah, we do. We loved one of the things we've loved doing on this are like those community based screenings and getting to show the film. And one of the coolest ones that we did was before the pandemic, um, which feels like forever ago now. Um, we uh, we went to my hometown and this uh, the League of Southern, the League of Women Voters in uh, Richmond County sponsored an event where they played the film. And actually kids from the high school I went to were like sitting and like like kids, like current students from that high school are actually sitting in the front row. And I guess the school had like announced that I was like, had a film and like they brought, I just thought that was like the coolest like thing. Like it was so surreal for me as like a 30 year old Nick to see like, you know, to see, uh, to see kids. And hopefully, I mean, you know, um, I think that one of the things I'm excited for is, you know, as technology becomes more and more democratized, you know, we're getting more and more uh, voices out there. And I just, I hope that that trend continues. And I hope that if nothing else, like this film can inspire, you know, people to to want to pick up a camera and tell a story about their, their home or their town in a new light and get people thinking yeah. about it. Yeah. 
Yeah, so I think uh, the immigration issue, you know, that's something that we can go on and on and on forever about because it's such a deep topic. And, you know, I think if anything, we'd have to get like a full roundtable of artists and filmmakers to talk about. Please, yeah. But I guess on the more creative side, what we want to talk about is also kind of the, the independent filmmaking. Like, what is your, you said this is your second project you've put out so far? This is this is actually this is the first one from our our new. We started a company around the time we came up with this film, so this is actually our first project. Begin there. Talk about um standard deviation productions and like how that started out. Yeah, so um, it started kind of organically in the process of making Lumpkin. You know, when I started when we started Lumpkin, Faye was the per- first person to sign on, and then it was just the two of us kind of going to Georgia. And before our first trip. Um, one of my really good friends, uh, Michael Gill, um, he had cut the the thesis project that Faye was referring to earlier about the opioid epidemic. He was one of my editors on that. And we uh, we were, uh, it was funny because we were at a rock, we used to rock climb again back when that was actually a thing. And we were at a rock climbing gym and I just said, hey man, like I'm thinking about, you know, going to Georgia and doing this project. Would you be interested in, in cutting it potentially? And he said, yeah. And then uh, I had a really good friend named Emily Grant Polis, who uh, who was an undergrad when I was a grad student, and she uh, she had mentioned she she had always been really interested in documentaries and had mentioned that she had wanted to work together in some capacity down the road. And I just called her up and said, "Hey, I'm doing this project. Do you, would you be interested in like kind of coming on board as like our producer and help help us coordinate stuff? Like you won't have to go anywhere necessarily. You just have to like help us set stuff up." She said, yeah, so so it just kind of became this like four piece ensemble. And uh, we started working together and we just had a lot of success early on. And we just decided that, you know, it would be a good idea to maybe make this a formal thing because we all liked working together so much that like this would be a good idea to start a small company uh, just to have that. You know, there's so many things when you're making a film, uh, you, you can, unless you have an entity or something that you're working through, you can be liable. I mean, like there's all sorts of liability things that come up. There's, there's a bunch of things that you have to consider. Like, you know, if a film goes down or you, you know, something happens, you know, if you're just a person making a film on your own, you can be sued into oblivion and they can take all your, you know, so there's all these like practical reasons to do it. But it was the, the, the main reasons were that like, we, uh, we just really liked working together and just decided that Lumpkin was just the start of where we wanted to go and we wanted to make more films. So, you know, uh, when the government shutdown happened in 20, uh, what was that, 2018, 2019, when, uh, when, you know, there was that fight over the border wall and then, you know, Trump said that he was going to own the government shutdown. We went to, uh, to Ohio, actually, uh, to a uh, facility where, um, where air traffic controllers had been working for like three weeks at the time that we finally got there uh, and they were getting zero dollar paychecks. Um, so we just kept telling these kinds of stories, um, and we kept going out and doing stuff. And, you know, now we're working on, I mean, we have, a a, like, I think we're scheduled to have two projects come out this year at this point. So, so we're on track for that. Maybe three, maybe three if we're lucky. Um, but, but at least two. Yeah. So I guess for both of you, um, has your love for filmmaking always been something that you've always had? How did you get into it? How was this like a goal for you as, as always, like this is what you wanted to do or kind of just found your way into it? Faye, you want to take that one? 
Uh, okay, I'll go first. I guess I've started watching a lot of films when I was in high school. So the high school or like the education system in China here is quite depressing, at least for me. <laughs> so that was a getaway. So I watched a lot of films during high school and then started to think, oh, what if I write my own scripts? What if I uh, do my own films? And then I got into um, a theater school for my undergrad in China and majoring in writing for theater. And then throughout that time, I realized that, okay, theater has its charms, but it's not really for me. I still want to do film. So I'm thinking about, okay, then maybe I could like pursue a grad, um, a grad program for, for really for filmmaking. So I went into USC film production program without really knowing what specifically I want to do in film. But the good thing about it is it like, in the first year, it let you try out every single thing, like all the aspects in film uh, yeah. filmmaking. Like you try director, you try to be editor, your production designer, uh, I mean, your art person, or you try out everything. And then I realized that I'm not really made for a director. <laughs> like when I was a director, I just got so stressed and I just like my mind is running too many things at the same time. And it's too much of torture for me. And the payoff is sweet, but it's not really worth all the torturing. <laughs> so I realized that, okay. So what other thing I really enjoyed is cinematography. Like I, like people around me or people around us were like extremely encouraging and kind. They were constantly saying, oh, say maybe you should consider this. Like you seem to have an eye for it. And then I also felt really, comfortable being a cinematographer on set, either for documentary or, or narrative films, even though I still have to have a million things going on in my head, but I didn't feel it was like torturing me. So um, I guess then I just like spontaneously think, okay, then maybe that's this, the thing that I should do. And then I still just continue to do that. And yeah. I just find really happy and lucky that I found like something that I love that I can like, you know, make it my career and something I'm passionate about. So I guess that's my path. Hey, uh, hey, no disrespect, Nick, but cinematographers are real stars here. So I think you chose well. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, I, I totally agree. I don't take any disrespect in that at all. I mean, you know, I, uh, yeah, I mean, I think that I feel like I'm uh, in a very, I, I'm very uh, humbled by the talent around me on this project. And I just feel like we all kind of brought our A game to it. And, uh, but specifically, I mean, you know, uh, a director has to do very little when they have an extremely talented team behind them. I feel like in documentary, I feel that way. I, or at least in my case, I feel that way. So yeah, totally. So I guess Nick, how did you, um, how did you get your start in film? Like how, how did you, choose this path or did this path kind of choose you? Yeah, I think, uh, you know, I, I've been interested in it from a, from a fairly, fairly young age. Uh, and I got my first camera when I was like 10 years old, a uh, little, like little camcorder, uh, that my mom got me. Um, I also used to do like little stop motion animation with Lego studio, which was like a program that was out when, when oh, I had one. Of, I, I had one of those when I was about <laughs> 10 years old too. I had the full, the full big box, all that. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I would do that in my bedroom for hours at a time. And I think my parents were worried something was wrong with me. <laughs> uh, and then, uh, yeah. And so I, I mean, 
so I've always been interested in it. I actually, uh, when I went to my undergrad, I uh, was choosing between going to a liberal arts school or doing a film program. I'd actually gotten into North Carolina School of the Arts, but my uh, my father convinced me that uh, that that you know it might be a good idea to try something before committing to like an artistic path like that. And also going to the liberal arts school was free and going to the film school was like a ton of money. So he didn't want to pay that money. And he, you know, so anyway, so, so for a myriad of reasons, my dad was, was, uh, was encouraging that I go to, uh, go to the liberal arts school. So I did. And, uh, I was very fortunate. I'd studied anthropology, which is kind of the background that I use in filmmaking today. And, you know, a lot of my professors actually let me, uh, let me make films for my projects. I just kind of negotiated that into like, almost every class I took that my final project would be a film project of some kind, which is really cool. And uh, yeah, I mean, I'm trying to think like, I, I worked as an AmeriCorps Vista for like a year after I graduated and then came to, uh, I applied to USC and miraculously got in. Uh, and um, I've always been mostly interested in post-production. Directing is actually not like my favorite thing to do which, uh, but, uh, so I, I, I make a living working in post-production, uh, as well. Um, and, uh, but, but yeah, I mean, I feel like, you know, I don't think that everything I have to have to say, contrary to how much I've spoken during this interview is all that interesting. And, uh, and I actually think that I, one of the joys I get is mostly just collaborating with people. So I, I really love post-production for that reason. But every once in a while, I feel like I have something to say. And so then I'll, you know, go out and make a movie about it. Cool. And uh, what was I going to ask? Oh, uh, Faye, so in China, I guess, obviously the film industry is a bit different. Um, how would you kind of describe the differences between, you know, Chinese filmmaking and the U.S. filmmaking? And, you know, they are putting out a lot more movies out, out from there these days, too. There's certainly some sort of boom going on. Yeah, I would say and right now it changed a tiny bit. Like I would say from maybe four years ago, like it was really thriving here in the film industry. Like there were a lot of money invested into the film industry and there were a lot of films going on and a lot of big investments. And, um, and then it changed a little bit since the past four years so it slowed down a little bit but i i would imagine that's actually kind of natural because it was like going up a little bit too quickly what the differences between the two countries i think i think like from a very objective point of view i would say the u.s still have a far more industrialized and professional um setting for filmmaking and because of the long history of it of course and i feel like china was is still in the um in the stage of getting it industrialized and making everything more professional with unions and stuff that's something that they're trying to have more regulation for and i would say i feel like when i was making films or like on film sites in the U.S., things were. It, I don't. I, I don't mean that to make it sound very political, but it does feel more um, democratic. <laughs> like <laughs> I feel, but but also maybe because like I, my my filmmaking 
experience started in film school in the US. So everyone's, you know, like has their own contribution and it's like more a collaborative art. And, but back here, back home in China, like things have a stricter hierarchy. Um, I would imagine this um, is a general thing, but I feel, feel that's more, um, I feel that's stronger here and mm-hmm. which I don't particularly like because I like to respect my crew and I res- like to be respected by other people as well. And I think with a respectful and equal environment that you can make the best art because everyone's feeling free and respected and they can contri- all contribute to the thing in their own way. And sometimes you could get an idea from, I'm talking for like fiction films, you could get an idea for your assistant camera. Like Mm -hmm. if you are respectful enough to him, like make him feel comfortable enough and free enough, he may feel comfortable pointing out this thing at the monitor to you, like saying, oh, what about that thing? And maybe that's a brilliant idea. And I think, yeah, the, the industry in China has stricter classes and hierarchy which kind of doesn't help with this kind of creative input but it provides great efficiency mm. and um so it, it's actually really cultural i think yeah I so, think so. yeah and that's uh one one of the things that i noticed yeah yeah i mean most americans think they have the greatest idea ever so people are quick to let you know their idea for something <laughs> you know when you're in your environment <laughs> like that for sure yeah, exactly. Uh, so I guess, so what some are, who are some of your, or what are some of your biggest influences for both of you growing up in film, like director wise, movie wise, who were, you know, the people that influenced you and your style? Oh man. Uh, Faye, you want to go first? No, this one is so hard. You should go first. <laughs> 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 uh, yeah uh oh man well i think it's a pretty long list but uh but you know um i think the biggest influence for me is just a storyteller in general probably is studs turkle who used to go around and collect oral histories of people and i've always found a lot of truth in kind of his sentiment that people oftentimes feel like they're ignored and one of the best things that you can do as a person is to go around and ask somebody what they think about something uh because it it really a lot of people, I think, you know, it kind of touches on what Faye was talking about earlier, but a lot of people are struggling right now uh, because of isolation, because of social media, we're kind of siloed off. And uh, so I think sometimes the best thing you can do is talk. And I think that's something that Studs Turkle embrace. And that's something that I really try to take with me as I make, uh, as I tell stories. Um, I think from a film perspective, um, I, I really think, uh, you know, I love Errol Morris. I'm a huge fan of the film Rich Hill. Um, I, I think that uh, that's like such a beautiful film and was such a touchstone for me as a filmmaker. Um, I'm a huge fan, uh, and that's Tracy, uh, I'm gonna mess people's names up, um, but I love that film. Um, I met the director of it once uh, and it was just like talking with her and talking with her editor actually was like really inspirational for me. Um, I think that uh, Errol Morris clearly is like a huge influence, I think, on on documentary today, but also the Maisley brothers, the Maisel brothers. Um, I'm terrible with pronunciation, but I've always been a fan of their work. And 
God, you're probably going to have to edit this. I really don't know. Um, <laughs> there's, so, there's so many, and uh, and it's hard. I think the main, the main, the main influence for this film was really kind of just like was was probably uh, was probably like Laura Poitras. Um, uh, she made a, a short film called Project X, which really kind of inspired us early on, uh, and then. Um, and then Rich Hill would probably be like the two biggest like touchstones for us for this film. Cool. Yeah, I think for me, I would, I could remember like the first film that I watched that made me want to do film was I watched The Elephant from Gus Van Sant mm-hmm. when I was in high school. And then I saw that it's so interesting, not only because of the content, but also like how what he did with the structure and with the medium of film itself to 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 manifest the theme, to manifest the story that he wants to tell. So that was one major point I watched and I was like, oh, this is so interesting and I love it and I really want to do it. And some films that really influenced me along the way, I was influenced a lot by Korean cinema, um, like Bong Joon-ho's uh, one of my favorite director and I really love, I think one of his films really inspired me and made me see things differently is one of his earlier films, which is called Memories of Murders. And um, that film has such an incredible ending. It's suspenseful and it has a very profound dark storytelling. And at the end, it's, uh, I wouldn't spoil it for everyone, but uh, if you haven't watched it, you should watch it. It's really cool because at the end, it has such a great ending and made me realize that, oh, so, the story could be told that way. Another film that really inspired me is, um, or like influenced me a lot as a, as a as an artist and as a filmmaker is um, Peppermint Candy, also a film from a Korean director called Lee Chang-dong. And that film has influenced a lot of other filmmakers too, like um, Shan Becker, um, who directed Florida Project. Mm-hmm. And what it, I really love about the film is how um, empathetic the director and the creator is to the characters that he created in the film and how much empathy and how much mercy that he has for them. And that really influenced me hugely on um, on the way I see art and on the way that I want to do artists. I want to have that much care and empathy for the people, no matter they're fictional or they're people in the documentary, they're people that we talk to in their, their in the daily life to, to weave into our documentaries. I think those are some of the things that influence me hugely. Cool, very cool. Can I take that question one more time or do you guys not? <laughs> sure, go ahead. Not more, no, yeah. definitely. All of these, yeah. all of these films I'm, are, I'm like putting on a list, like, all right, I'm gonna check this out, I'm gonna check that out. I just, uh, I just real, I just butchered my answer to that completely. Like I was, that's like the one question that you know you're gonna get, and I never, I, I like, yeah, it's always so hard. Um, so I, I think that, uh, that, yeah, I think that, um, I have to say, like hearing Faye mention Sean Baker, I think that that his work was actually probably a good touchstone for us too. And the one that I'm like completely, like that I completely forgot. So I'll just start over. So I think that like, for me, like the the biggest, like from a storytelling perspective, I think Studs Terkel and his approach to kind of oral history. But I also think that like, um, that, that in terms of filmmaking, like 
clearly uh terrence malick was i i can't even believe i forgot that but but uh terrence malick was just such a huge uh a huge influence for us um and and uh so many of our shot references our like lookbook had so many terrence malick shots in it i think rich hill by tracy draws tragos was was uh was another film that really inspired us and kind of it does a similar uh it, it takes a similar avenue to talk about um to talk about childhood poverty in the united states and it's one of my favorite uh one of my favorite movies of the last like 20 years um and it's a documentary very well made very beautiful uh and then i think that like you know um I think that's, you know, like there's so many to think of, but I think the Florida project came out while we were in the middle of filming. And I think that that, that film's approach also, like, as we, as we were going back and forth, I, I mean, we both, we watched the film together actually at USC. And, uh, and that was such like, a, I feel like that was a transformational experience for me as well. I mean, that's just like a, such a beautiful story. Um, yeah. I mean, uh, there's, there's too many to list. A few more interviews, you know, you might have it narrowed down like to, you know, your talking points. So you'll, you'll get there. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah. If we said in like the last five years, your favorite contemporary piece or director. <laughs> favorite last five years, favorite contemporary yeah. piece. Yeah. Yeah. I think my, in the last five years, my favorite contemporary piece would probably have to be, um, Citizen Four is outside of those five years, but that would, if, if we were going back 10 years, that would probably be my, my top pick. I think that my, uh, my, I think Florida project for me would probably be my top pick of the last five years. Okay. What about you, Faye? Uh, <laughs> okay, <laughs> so, last five years. I don't know if this one is included in the last five years, my night crawler. Oh yeah. Um, oh yeah. That yeah. was good. I forgot about Nightcrawler. Wow. <laughs> I I really love that one. I think it was brilliantly done. And what else? I also really loved um what's the one about the gem? What's it called? The Uncut Gems. Yeah, Uncut Gems, exactly. Yeah, mm -hmm. that's something that I watched recently and really enjoyed. I mean it's with very the... different. <laughs> yeah, with the, the the two brothers, like they're they're phenomenal directors. Yeah, the Safties. Yeah, that's a that's a great movie too. That and um, the other one they did with Robert Pattinson was awesome. Yep. So I guess uh, you guys are in this documentary field. Do you feel like there's kind of this uh, resurgence in documentary film filmmaking, particularly with like streaming and how it's always. I think I feel like it's opened it up more to more audiences and more people to to watch instead of having to, you know, only get those big deals. Okay, you want to take that? Mm, I think you could probably speak better about that topic than yeah, me. Yeah, I, I guess. I guess. Uh, I mean, I. I think that streaming has definitely. I think there's a resurgence in documentary. I, um, I'm, I think that, uh, there now more than ever, there's like definitely more funding to make it. It seems like there's definitely more opportunities to have it seen in the world. And I do think that's one of the really kind of beautiful things about the environment that we live in right now. Um, I, you know, uh, I think that 
I'm curious to see what happens over the next few years, but I think that right now there is just so much money going into documentaries by major streaming platforms in large part because they're like probably significantly cheaper to make than a lot of the other like uh, narrative productions that they might pursue. But I think, you know, in the past 10 years, storytelling and documentary has really just changed. And like, you know, you have the rise of kind of the docu-series and stuff. Mm -hmm. So I think that, uh, I, I mean, I'm, I, I think that there's going to be going to be more. And I, I, I honestly just hope, like, I just got done watching Sundance, uh, the virtual uh, experience of it. And there were so many cool films that I, I feel like, you know, uh, because it was on the internet, so many more people are going to get to watch those than they typically would if they would go to Park City. And I mean, Sundance, a lot of films there get distributed, but there's a lot of really cool docs that screen there that don't, or like cool films in general that don't get major releases in the United States. So to have platforms online, I think is a real game changer and just really cool for letting people see new work and hopefully inspiring new voices. Yeah. And I guess, uh, since we do have a lot of like, you know, we talked to a lot of independent artists and independent filmmakers and all these other, I guess, can you kind of talk about the process of shopping your, your film around the process of getting an independent film scene? Like, do you go through film festivals, going to companies? Like how, do, how does that all work? Yeah. I mean, we were trying to get our film scene for like years. I feel like um, in the process of making it, we would send, we would send like rough cuts and, and early versions out to people we thought might be interested in helping us finish it. Um, and that was uh, wholly unsuccessful for us uh, on this film. I think that so much of it, um, so much of it kind of hinged on the last few months of filmmaking that we never really had like the compelling sell until closer towards the end. I think we always had a really interesting topic, but I think, you know, it was, it was really a project that really came together towards the end. So, uh, so I mean, that, that particular process of having funding along the way didn't work out for us, but, uh, we pretty quickly got picked up for festivals and pretty like big festivals for like documentaries. Uh, Indie Grits was one that was like, uh, pretty, pretty big. And then uh, the Sidewalk Film Festival was another one. These are more, these, and Sarasota was another one that picked us up. And then, you know, before, like, I think before we even started getting the festival acceptances, we had already had interest from Real South, which is like a, a television show on PBS and the World Channel. Uh, they were interested in picking up our film as part of their anthology series. So, uh, so, you know, I think we had, it was kind of a slow process at first, but at the end, it just kind of all started happening at once. And then there was a little bit of a lull after it was on, um, after it was on Real South Forest, where we didn't have like another distributor for like a long-term deal to host it on like, or to put, put it out on VOD or something. So, uh, so we actually, I, I screened the film in, uh, at a state school here in California and, uh, we got connected to this distributor EPF who put the film out as, on a DVD at first and sold it to libraries and sold it to individuals. And then, you know, uh, helped us to get the film on canopy. Uh, so it was, it was, a, it was essentially like a four year long process when I, when you like look back on it all, um, there was the year it took to kind of make it. There was the other, the year after that where it kind of was in festivals and, um, and, uh, and then, you know, it, I guess like two year and a half, two years almost. 
in festivals on Real South, and then finally, kind of where we are today, where it's on a, it's on a streaming platform. It took a little while. <laughs> I guess, I mean, this, this is probably the typical process. You don't always know when you're starting a project where where it will end up and who will, who will you know be interested or if it will get gather that interest. I'm sure that's got to be kind of a, a nerve wracking process to go through. It's an adrenaline rush when you get accepted anywhere, you know, when you get accepted anywhere and when something happens, it's like positive for the project. It's such an adrenaline rush. And like, you know, we won like awards at some festivals for this film, which, you know, is never something you expect. But when it happens, you're just like, oh, my gosh, like this is actually resonating with people like this is actually meaning something. One of them was like at this small film festival in the UK, which was completely like kind of shocking to me because I, I, I mean, uh i just the fact that it resonates with an audience in the uk enough that like they would want to give it an award was was really fascinating um but like i i mean i think that that the uh that that it was just a a real exercise in patience and there were like a lot of disappointments along the way you know i mean i think that you know we we had really high hopes for this film and we always knew it was something special uh that we thought was special and so like, but when it finally was like acknowledged like externally outside of us, I think that was really cool. And those are moments that I don't think, you know, are all that, I think that those are the smallest moments in the whole process, right? Like the process is long. There's a lot of work that goes into it. And a lot of times you're doing it like in mere silence away from people, no one's seeing all the time you're putting into it. And then to have those moments of release where it like gets some kind of award or gets picked up for streaming and you first hear about it, like as filmmakers, those are the moments like that, that, uh, that like I try to remember and hold on to because like, those are just like, you know, that's part of, that's a, that's part of why you do it. And I think the other part is like, you know, having people being able to see it in any capacity is always a privilege. And I, I knew from the start that this is something I wanted to end up on public television. And my dad, who actually uh, unfortunately passed away recently, but he was able to see the film uh, on public television. And one of the things he told me all throughout my time making films was his one dream was that I would have something on PBS. So it was really meaningful <laughs> when that happened That's awesome. to, have, to have a film on PBS um, yeah, that's awesome. and to have my dad see it. That was really cool. And those are those are those moments that, you know, like you, uh, you know, seem too good to be true. Absolutely. That's really cool. Um, I guess. Go ahead. You, well, I was going to ask just one more question about like just the um, the streaming thing and stuff, and like, had you reached out to streaming services? I know there's like some new things coming or like like emerging in terms of like kind of like a, a documentary focus. Like, there's a platform called Curiosity Stream that I saw getting a lot of like new traction, and I think they're like focusing on education and they're more like PBS um, centric, you know? Um, Yeah, I don't know. Just like your your take on just like the future of documentaries and streaming, like will there be more just documentary specific types of things and like, you know, that process of reaching out? Yeah, well, I do think, you know, back to the question earlier about streamers. I mean, I do think that streamers have done a lot to contribute to the popularity of documentary film or the resurgence in popularity of documentary filmmaking. And I think the accessibility of kind of new, cool, interesting storytelling um, on Netflix, on HBO, on Hulu, on all these platforms 
has really kind of brought in it, it brought it um, further into the mainstream. And so uh, I do have a lot of optimism in in like future or in current and new uh, platforms that are that are promoting mostly documentary content. I think that's really exciting. Um, and you know, I I know we're going to continue to push this film out into the world. We're, our distributor right now has been really good to the film and really has taken a lot of care with it. So, uh, so I know that we have some more stuff coming in the near future. Um, but, uh, but, and yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm extremely hopeful. I mean, you know, I, we, I think we're always kind of looking to push the boundaries of how we can get a film out into the world. So I definitely see something as like, like curiosity stream or another streaming platform like that in our near future, maybe not for this film, but for maybe for the next one or something else we've worked on up until this point. Yeah. For sure. And I think that's really exciting because you can just paste a link on Facebook or Twitter or wherever and have it go out to all your friends and everybody, you know, can watch it. And ultimately, that's, you know, you do it to share it, to share your voice with other people. So that's just a beautiful thing. All right. Uh, last two questions I have. Um, I guess, is there any particular film you are specifically looking forward to seeing this year? This is to both of you. I saw, I've, I've seen most of the films that I think are going to be awards contender. There's one I have, the Mauritanian is one that I'm really interested in seeing. I think that's how you pronounce it, but uh, uh, that I haven't seen yet. I, I mean, I really love the film Minari um, and I, mm. you know, I have really high hopes for that film. Um, and uh, yeah, so I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm not sure what else though. I think those are my two big. I really want to see the new Bond film, but I don't know when the heck that's coming out. I yeah, love I'm knows? a huge Rami Malik fan. Yeah, I'm a huge Rami Malik fan. So like, and you know, anytime he's in something, I want to watch it. But um, sure. but yeah. What about you, uh, Faye? Yeah, Minari is also the one that I'm really looking forward to see it. It's a um, of course, it's also a little bit of Korean. <laughs> I don't yeah, know, yeah. like my influences. And I really hope, I watched the trailer of it. It's really fascinating. And I hope it's a good movie to watch. And uh, the new Bond film sounds great. And I would love to watch it, especially during this time. Like, <laughs> I just want something fun. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, for sure, there's kind of a lack of big blockbusters last year because of, you know, the whole coronavirus, for sure. It's kind of... That was one big missing part of the film landscape. What about you two? Darius, you can start. Oh, man. Oh, looking forward to? Oh, that's tough, man. I don't know. It's, like, hard to anticipate things. Like, I'm definitely anticipating that Bond thing for sure. I mean, there's movies that I think are out that I haven't seen yet that I kind of want to watch. Like, um, like you mentioned Rami. I think him and Denzel Washington and Jared Leto have a thing. Um, they do. Yeah, uh, the little things. The little things, yeah. So yeah. I, I want to watch that film. You know, I'm like I'm anticipating watching it, but I don't know, you know, how crazy it'll be. But um, you know, we'll just see. We'll see. You know, I'm interested in 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 also exploring just like the more independent uh, films because I like coming across stuff that like I don't necessarily um you know that's not promoted because like in, in New York, if it's like a blockbuster, I'll walk on the street and I'll see a poster. You know, like I'll see right. it somewhere, it'll be in the subways, uh, you know, like I, I, I kind of get like advertisements just all the time, even if I'm not watching commercials. So, um, you know, 
uh we'll see but yeah no there's 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 some stuff just i not off the top of my head i can't remember but well there's two two specifically for me matrix four because oh yeah What the the hell is that going to be? Because I have no idea. Like, I have no idea what that movie is going to be. And the first one, it blew my little nine-year-old head, like, when I first saw it. So I was like, I I cannot wait to see that. And then uh, Judas and the Black Messiah. That's one I definitely... Yeah! I forgot about uh, that. Phenomenal. Yeah. It's been getting a lot of, obviously, rave, you know, reviews and talks about. And just from the trailer alone, which honestly might be the best trailer I've ever seen in my life. Uh, yes. I was instantly kind of like drawn to that film. And yeah, I, I, I think you're right. I think that probably is the best film trailer I've ever seen. I as soon as I watched, I watched it like three times. Uh, after, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I just feel like there's another film that I saw this year at, at Sundance this year that just really made an impression on me. And, uh, and I, I would encourage, you know, y'all to check it out when it comes out, but it's called President and it kind of tracks the fall of democracy in Zimbabwe and mm-hmm. in real time. Um, this filmmaker's on the ground with like these opposition candidates. And it's one of the, it's one of the like uh, most intense 90 hour, 40 minute long films I've ever seen. Like, it's just like, it goes and it's, it's like, it's very riveting and it's just very, uh, it has a lot of really great stuff to say about democracy. And another one is uh writing with fire which is about female journalists in india which is really awesome too really love right. both of those cool definitely add those to the list and um do you guys have any future projects you guys already have in the works that you're thinking about or you know yeah we we're finishing up uh we have an animated documentary coming out in a, in a few months hopefully um that is actually a follow-up to lumpkin it's a story from the film that we weren't able to include um in the in the final film but uh it's the story of a of a mother trying to explain to her child what's happened to to his father uh who's in the detention center so it's an animated short it's it's really it's uh it's really impressionistic and uh experimental and it's made with an animator uh myra flores who's uh who's done some really cool work in the past and then um and and uh really kind of like on the up and rise as a as an animator and then um uh we also have a film that we've been working on for a few years about the opioid epidemic uh that we're trying to finish and get out there into the into the world this year so so hopefully those two projects um uh will be on will be out soon um we'll see we'll see what happens okay so two more lighthearted uh subjects <laughs> yeah <laughs> exactly yeah it's a it's a recurring joke that we we uh my mom always tells me she thinks I need to make a film about dogs or something because uh, <laughs> she thinks I'd be, yeah. Anyways, but yeah. Um, and yeah, I don't know, but the joke is that I probably find a way to make it about a puppy mill or something. So anyway, yeah. Um, my, my family is concerned about, about my choice in a film. <laughs> <laughs> hey, uh, if you keep putting out uh, great projects like this, I'm all for it. Go for it whatever Thanks, you want man. to cover man so oh, man, um, i appreciate that if you want to plug i guess where people can check out lumpkin ga yeah lumpkin ga is now available on canopy uh it's also available through our distributor epf uh, media i think that's epfmedia.com and uh and we're also i mean you can follow us on on at our website it's a uh, 
lumpkinga.com. And then, um, yeah, our company's uh, production, our production company is Standard Deviation Productions. It's also standarddeviationproductions.com. And we're on Instagram at a new standard. Uh, cool. That's us. And we will try to have the links for everything down below where this video goes up. And uh, we highly encourage everybody to check this short film out. It's it's phenomenal. And I think it's required viewing for anybody that wants to understand the real issues going on around immigration. Definitely. It was very short, very sweet, very concise. You guys really, you know, like you said, um, what Max said, it was it, it, it seemed to be very fair. Um, and, and I really appreciate that about the documentary, how like fair and like multiple perspectives um, that all provided a unique, you know, window of information. Uh, so, you know, we definitely encourage everybody to check out Lumpkin GA and, um, you know, follow both Nicholas and Faye. I don't know if you guys have personal tags for Instagram, maybe that you want to follow or any personal uh, websites as well. Faye, you go first. Uh, yeah, I'm on Instagram and it's at T-A-I-F. I, 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 five eyes. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Why do I make it so hard for everyone? <laughs> we'll put everything in the links down below. <laughs> yeah. Yes, and my website, which is uh, facialfilm.com, and probably a link below there. Yeah. Sweet. Yeah, um, I'm just underscore Nick MB, N I C K M B. But again, you can get that below. Um, that's it. That's on Instagram. Um, but yeah, thank you all so much for having us and uh, just. Yeah, thank you. Really appreciate it. This has been really great. And sorry I talked your ear off so much. No, man. That's what we do. Nicholas Brewer, Faye, Lumpkin GA. Thank you guys for taking your time out and talking with us. And it was just a pleasure. Thank Definitely. you. Well, you know, to our audience, thank you so much for joining us. Um, you know, appreciate you listening to our excellent guests. And until next time, keep living life fearless. Peace, guys.